You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 154, The Challenge of Substance Abuse. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Indian Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. There's so many different perspectives that we attempt to focus on in this show that really, hopefully, give us a better view of the complexity of the human trafficking issue, but of course, uh, Sandy, of society in general. And there are so many different things that are contributing factors. And we've looked at many of them in, in past episodes. And of course, one of them is the issue of substance abuse. It is something that comes up quite a bit um, when we're thinking about trafficking. And we haven't talked about a ton on the show before, have we? No, we haven't. And and this is kind of the beginning of this growing awareness that the connections between human trafficking and substance abuse are much greater than we had originally thought. And so we're only going to look at it from the perspective of prevention today. You know, we always try to frame things between prevention, protection, prosecution, or partnership. And the issue of drugs and drug running and drug trafficking is going to fall under that prosecution P. But what we want to look at today is prevention. And this is such a complex issue. I, I would imagine, Sandy, I mean, I've, I know tangentially about some of the issues. I know you're going to do a lot to educate me today on uh, all the complexity here. Uh, but certainly, I've seen all of the news stories, all of the uh, the challenges with uh, meth addictions, uh, especially. Um, there's certain mm. parts of the country that we continue to hear just un- unbelievable, heartbreaking well, stories of families and situations. And um, and so I, I suspect that there's there's a lot here, not only that relates to trafficking, but just some of the challenges we're seeing in society in general. Well, and I think that really speaks to why this kind of prevention agenda is going upstream into places we haven't looked before to find out what's going on. And I was especially energized and compelled really to study this issue because in January, when we looked right here in Orange County at the child abuse and neglect statistics and the risk factors. And let me just remind everybody that when you're looking at the commercial sexual exploitation of children, a history of child abuse, of sexual abuse, of neglect are major risk factors when we look at children who become more vulnerable and subsequently victimized by sex trafficking. So understanding the risk factors for that kind of abuse becomes um, imperative. In January, when we looked at the 2016 Orange County child abuse and neglect statistics, we learned that the number one risk factor was a history of a family member 
with a substance abuse problem, with an addiction. It's a pretty compelling statistic, Sandy. It, and it's so compelling that it, it almost makes me think like we, we should have been, we should have talked about this more in previous episodes of all of the, the challenges. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things when you talk to, especially our local partners uh, who we've worked with for for many many years? What are what are people saying about the issue of substance abuse? Well, some of the issues when a parent or a relative, uh, even um, a sibling, has a substance abuse issue, an addiction. That means that some of the normal supports around a growing and developing child end up missing. And some of the the really logical things that can happen is a child begins missing school because the parent that was supposed to drive them to school is incapacitated because of the drug addiction. Resources that would provide for a child to be involved in after-school extracurricular activities. There's no money for those activities because of the cost of addiction. So a lot of challenges that start very early on in, uh, in, a, in, in a young person's life. Uh, and I'm seeing just some of the statistics you've pulled here in relation to trafficking as well. Tell me, tell me more about that. What do we know about and, the link between trafficking and substance abuse? Well, when a child is more vulnerable, then that creates more risk for them to experience child abuse, sexual child abuse, and child neglect, which neglect is an often overlooked aspect of creating risk for kids. And the idea that we have a public health crisis in America is probably reflected in a recent study that showed that the estimated worldwide prevalence of current opioid use was between 0.6 and 0.8%. So 28 to 38 million people. But here's the absolutely blows your mind aspect of that global statistic. 4.5% of the world's population, the United States annually consumes more than 80% of all opioid supplies. And that includes, and I'm going to list them because people, when you're listening to this, you're going to recognize these. We consume in America 99% of all hydrocodone. We consume 80% of all oxycodone, 58% of all methadone, 54% of all hydromorphone, 49% of all fentanyl, and 43% of all meperidine. 21 million people across the U.S. are um, abusing a substance and we have 91 deaths per day for opioid overdoses. And if we include alcohol deaths, alcohol-related deaths, that number goes up to 375 deaths every single day. This is clearly a public health crisis. 
and the trickle down to the impact on our risk for children to be commercially sexually exploited is directly related. And we have to take a look at that. Well, it's, it's, it's such a big number, Sandy. And it really, I mean, just, I'm just thinking about the biggest number here of 21 million abusing substances. We have approximately 300 million population in the U.S. So that's about, that's about six, seven percent of the U.S. population is abusing a substance. That is a huge, huge chunk of people in this country, uh, not to mention so in other places. That, it's just it's astounding. And that makes it a critical thing for us to look at, which is why at Insure Justice, March 2nd and 3rd, 2018, we are going to place all of our attention on beginning to understand the challenge of substance abuse and human trafficking. Because we're dealing with an issue about addiction, we have to start understanding how addiction occurs. And I want to refer to some names in neuroscience that are becoming leading experts and helping us understand that originally Olds and Milner did some of the early research, but now we're starting to understand because of the technology we have to do PET scans from Volkoff and Shellebert, the function of the brain. And unfortunately, we've addressed substance abuse from a moral issue instead of from a medical issue. And that moral approach has resulted more in punitive approaches to reducing drug addiction. We put people in jail when we probably would be better served economically if we looked at this from the health perspective. What's an example of that, Sandy, that you've seen either locally or even with some of the survivors that we've interacted with where the system is is very broken in that way. Well, I think so many of the um, victims of commercial sexual exploitation of children, and then later as they age out of being in that category, their original story started with a parent. Um, and you've all heard me talk about my very first victim was a 14-year-old boy being sold for drugs for his mother and stepfather. So the scenario of a parent trying to fulfill this addiction that they absolutely completely overtakes all of their normal thinking. And when you talk to experts in this, you can start to get a little bit of an idea of how understanding the brain helps us situate this as a physiological issue. And just a, a quick, really brief look at the brain is to think of the two systems of the limbic system, this part of the brain, and then the cortex. And the limbic system, that's attached to your emotions, your drive for survival, and the same feeling of reward that you get when you eat a good meal brain reinforces that because that's necessary for survival. But for some people, there are greater risks for that survival reward response to be hijacked 
when drugs are introduced into their life. So I think what I'm hearing you say there is there's there's the biology or maybe even genetics, if I'm, I'm hearing you right, that s- some people may be predispo- predisposed for this to be a bigger challenge. Yes. And that that genetic aspect is where a lot of research is beginning to help us develop some preemptive and actually preventive efforts. But when I'm looking at the challenge of substance abuse and our kids, so many of the young parents began testing drugs when they were in their adolescence. And that is a really high risk time in brain development. So if you can think about the the issues we've talked about here about how teens are more willing to take risks and when we talk about prevention and we just want to warn them about things like don't believe of Romeo pimp that just wants to make you feel like you're loved um, the same thing happens with risk factors for starting drugs. And what we've learned from this brain science is that if you start experimenting with substances between the age of 12 and 18, it astronomically increases your risk for addiction. Because not everybody that tries drugs becomes addicted, right? So when we're looking at risk factors, where we are looking at genes and we're looking at environmental factors, the idea that drugs are available. And obviously, from what the statistic that we started out with of the number of drugs right here in America, this is a risk factor we have to address. That's one of the challenge. How do we reduce the availability of drugs to our youth and to our general population? Because that age of exposure is such a big risk factor. One of the other pieces that I see here that's come out of the research is uh, the, the correlation between substance abuse and child abuse and, some, and, and just putting together some of these maps and overlaying the the issues oh, it's it's yes. uh, it's pretty stunning what 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 is what's behind that what are we seeing when we look at the correlations well uh, we recently laid over our child abuse map of orange county and it broke out all of the zip codes and then we put the substance abuse map over this that's also divided out by zip codes over that map and when those that layover was done, the two counties with the highest number of child abuse and neglect reports also had the highest number of substance abuse issues. The two counties or the two zip codes? The two zip codes. Oh. And they were absolutely completely red. And red was the highest number on both legends for understanding those things. There is, of course, the the challenge in in appreciating the distinction between correlation and causation. Yeah. So we're going to need to start looking at this every year and develop some longitudinal research so that we can better understand those. But for right now, it shows us locally 
where we need to start working first to impact the most children who are at risk. What are some of the general risk factors that we see that are coming up in in the situation? Well, we've talked about genes, and that's an area of research right now in neurobiology and the age of exposure and then um, drug availability. I think the most exciting research now is how we can begin to identify preventive factors, and those are protective. And so when I'm looking at some of the things we've done in the past, especially with young people, we are absolutely convinced that doing the red flag thing, the just say no, is not the path we want to spend our money on. We want to look at prevention strategies that are already evidence-based best practice. And back in episode 109, we looked at developmental assets, 40 developmental assets. So when I give you my list of protective factors, Dave, you're going to remember that we already have a map to do this. So for those who are interested in checking that out, going into episode 109, will give us the details of, of that. For those who um, haven't heard that episode, Sandy, what are some of the big things that, that you recall that people should be thinking about or conscious of when we're looking at this issue? Well, the, those developmental assets are broken into two categories, external and internal. And the external categories have to be developed before the internal categories are developed. That's why the Just Say No campaign didn't work because it was dependent on strong internal asset development. So the protective factors that we can work on that will delay, and that's our real goal, delay uh, a child, an adolescent from even tasting drugs, from even being introduced, even thinking that it would be okay to try this. And some of those things are very logical. Parental involvement. And if parental involvement is a problem because of child welfare issues, then what we know from our developmental assets is that one strong adult relationship, whether that's a foster family, a teacher, a community leader, a youth leader, that kind of involvement is going to produce a, an element of protection for this young person. And, the, and it's also very logical. We have to figure out ways to limit availability. And when we look at limiting availability, most of us immediately think of our politicians and please pass another law to protect our kids, to make this illegal, make that illegal. But we aren't actually seeing any progress with that. We have to actually have neighborhood initiatives for a drug-free environment. Just like you have a neighborhood watch, if somebody's going around in my neighborhood, we have a a system of posting to let people know when there's somebody um, stealing mail packages off your porch, those kinds of things. That kind of, of neighborhood involvement is going to be critical to protecting our kids from having this access and availability. What are the things um, that come into play here when thinking about treatment, assessment, recovery? Because there's so much complexity that goes in with this, Andy. One of the things that I think becomes a place of 
of a lot of confusion is we think that the drugs are out there on the street and and people who look very suspicious and evil are the ones selling the drugs. But an interesting element of the research shows that for many kids, many children, their first introduction to a drug is through a prescription drug in a parent's medicine cabinet. Oh, interesting. I've heard that very same thing, Sandy, that um, parent uh, call to action for parents have been more conscious of that. Tell, tell me more about what, what the research is showing around that. Well, we look at a lot of overdose literature, and we think that the numbers are going to reflect our youth. And so I looked at just Orange County, because I'm going to start here in my own community, building a case for community engagement, community involvement in creating drug-free communities. And I learned that the highest number of overdose deaths was not with adolescents. It wasn't with young adults, 18 to 25. It was in that next category of 26 to 54. So these are adult leaders in our community that have an opioid addiction or an alcohol addiction that's resulting in their death. And so a drug-free community cannot be based on just let's look at the kids, but we have to, it has to be a very um, comprehensive look at a community and all age levels. When we think about drugs, like you said, a lot of times we're thinking about um, the things we've seen on TV, we're thinking about the drug dealer on the street, and we it's so easy to forget that uh, in a lot of our homes, the drugs are in the next room because they have been brought in through very legal and legitimate reasons initially, and yet, like you say, that causes an issue. So when we are looking at the challenge of substance abuse at Ensure Justice, the speakers that we have invited bring subject matter expertise to address these risk factors, to address the protective factors, to help us understand how to deal with kids who are exposed to drugs, and to help kids who have already been introduced because there are treatment modalities, there is recovery, and putting them away, putting them, locking them up in probation uh, or in juvenile detention is not necessarily going to provide the best outcome. And the same goes for the adults in their lives. Some of our insured justice speakers will address some of the most complicated aspects of the challenge of substance abuse and human trafficking. I'm particularly pleased that Deborah Augustine from the DEA in Washington, D.C., who deals with victim witness assistance, will be one of our speakers. And we also have invited leaders from the National Drug Control Policy Department. We have our own chief medical officer here in Orange County, Dr. Ann Light, who is an expert on how the pediatric brain responds to trauma and to substance abuse. We are 
working to also include academic leaders and our own professor, Michael Hanna, who has worked extensively on the neurobiology of substance abuse and adolescence, will be here. UCI Dr. Jody Qualls, who is an expert on forensic interviews with children and is um, a, an acclaimed trainer for the FBI and for Homeland Security. Those kinds of leaders will help us understand in our own community how to address the children who are at risk and the parents around them. Because if the parents aren't able to be involved, how do we address that? And then how do we help those parents improve their parenting skills and help them overcome their addiction? Sandy, it sounds like quite a lineup as always. Uh, every year, you just do such an amazing job of uh, your, you and your team of putting together the very best speakers and the experts who will, um, again, help us to look at trafficking through a, a, a different lens every year. And this year, of course, we are going to really look at the substance abuse issue because as we've talked about today and looked at all these statistics, uh, it is a huge issue. And I, um, I became involved with a group that does outreach to young women with addiction issues. And the most striking and compelling reason why I joined their effort was because I was struck by these young women, these young moms who have lost custody of their children because of their addiction. And the one compelling motivation to overcome that addiction, to find a way to fight the chemical and physiological um, slavery that they experience. That's how someone, one doctor described addiction like slavery. They, their love for their children is what is compelling them to look for ways to recover, to be committed to a life of sobriety because they want to be an involved parent. They want to be a good parent. And no matter what their current situation is, there is no reason to question their love for their children. And I think that as our community begins to understand how drugs impact parenting, we'll create better ways for intervening, speaking up, engaging with that young mom a lot sooner so that we can be preventative, so that we can be protective of those children who are at increased risk. I don't think I could uh, capture it any better, Sandy, the value of what we're going to be trying to convey in this conference uh, this year. And uh, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, uh, every year we do host the Ensure Justice Conference uh, in the spring. Uh, this year it will be March 2nd and 3rd, 2018. It'll be in Costa Mesa, California. If you've attended it in the past, of course, uh, we're going to be looking at a very different lens uh, uh, this year through the lens of substance abuse around trafficking. Uh, and if you haven't attended before, this is an important year to join us because uh, we will be hearing from so many of these experts who will help us to really get the lens um, and the understanding of how 
substance abuse falls into the trafficking situation. But of course, you know, so many of us, uh, it, it, even if it's not our own family, Sandy, or even if it's not our neighbors, um, have seen substance abuse affect our lives and our communities. And so this will be really valuable regardless. To register for Insure Justice, just go to insurejustice.com, insurejustice.com. And we hope that you will consider sending uh, child-serving professionals from your community to, in, to join us. This will be, begin a conversation and a dialogue as we all gather together to study this issue. And the issue for teachers, the issue for pediatric doctors and nurses, the issue for child welfare and social services, everybody needs to come to the table. But I really want to call out the faith-based community because making a community a drug-safe environment is going to take everyday people who care enough to do something right in their own backyard. Sandy, it's going to be exciting to see this conference come together. And one of the things that's always really a blessing for us is as difficult as these issues are, of course, is to see how many people come together and do care deeply about these issues, not only the folks in our listening community, but through all the folks who have partnered with the Global Center for Women and Justice uh, throughout the years. So we hope you'll take our challenge to join us for this year's Ensure Justice Conference, March 2nd and 3rd, 2018. You can register early by going to insurejustice.com. As always, if we have generated some questions for you on today's topic, I hope you'll send an email to us, feedback at endinghumantrafficking.org. And our new website is up and running. If you haven't seen it already, it's at endinghumantrafficking.org. You can track down all of the past episodes, including the links we've mentioned on today's show. And we're really looking forward to seeing you in March. I hope you'll join us uh, to be a part of a community that uh, cares a lot about this issue. And we'll see you back again in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Take care.